VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. It's International Week, or Week of Football, as UEFA like to call it. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm especially excited because this week we've gone for quality, not quantity. (laughs) That's right. There's no James Scowcroft, no Allison Rudd, no Matt Hughes, no Matthew Syed, no Henry Winter. We've actually gone and picked two of the very best. In fact, the guys who rank at number one and number two in our uh, survey of game podcast listeners, of favorite guests, they are Ollie Kay and Julian Lawrence. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on. Uh, This was, of course, a special uh, listener's choice uh, edition of the game podcast, and everybody wanted you two guys on ahead of everybody else. So... It's, it's, it's a testament to your many appearances and your huge contributions to the podcast over the years. In what order? Actually, it's not. <laughs> Basically, it's International Week. Nobody's around, and so Julian and Ollie, you guys get to join me. Okay, let's talk about Big Sam Allardyce's debut. Uh, Ollie, you're just back, and my obvious question is, which is the real England? Is it the first hour, or is it the last half hour? And if it's the last half hour, should you be a little bit concerned? Because most of the time, they won't be playing against 10 men. Uh, I'd, I'd say the real England is, is, is a team of, uh, which is capable of playing you know, miserably for 45 minutes and, and reasonably well for, for 45 minutes. I thought that was the, the case quite often at the Euros, and it was the case, um, it was the case yesterday. I, I thought the first half was, you know, it was as if nothing had changed and probably nothing really fundamentally has changed because Allardyce only had them for you know, a week. It's, it's it's all the same players, which is inevitable because there aren't, you know, loads more players waiting to get through. It's a young squad anyway. It's still, um, it, it, it's it's a, a, a squad that is still developing and now under new management. I, I thought after that, Poor first half, which you know, it was just slow. It was there was no real energy to it. Um, the three midfielders were were, were were too deep. Really, Kane was very isolated. I thought the second half, and albeit yes, after Skirtle got sent off, um, but I thought the second half was much more in- encouraging. With uh, I, I think the big the big pluses there were Deli Ali coming on and and. In, Injecting a bit of excitement, excitement and impetus and quality going forward, um, and John Stones stepping up. Okay, so what was uh, I'm going to just stick with you, Ollie? Though, what was different in you know in terms of the things? I mean, leaving aside the performance on one side, because obviously there's only so much a manager can do about that. But did you notice anything different tactically? Anything different in terms of of, of the movement or positioning of certain players? Well, if you were to if you were to call that sort of four one four one formation, I'd say that at the Euros, um, that that central def- that central midfield area it was Dyer deep, and it was Rooney and and Ali quite a way ahead of him. Um, and and yesterday, it seemed like those three were almost operating in a line at times. I mean, obviously, uh, Dyer was was deepest, but but Rooney and Henderson were often. With him, and I, I didn't think that really worked in the first half. But whereas we saw the the um, at the Euros, we saw England often starting quite well actually in games, and then running out of ideas um, dramatically. So against Iceland, um, they actually started very very slowly, and then tweaked things, and then with Ali coming on and Stones 
driving forward a lot more. Um, I thought it was a it was a team that sort of in intensity uh, improved as the game went on. Maybe that's maybe that, I mean you could say that was well he got it wrong by leaving Ali on the bench, but the, the substitution worked. I thought there was more quality once Ali came on, more quality when Stones is dropping forward uh, or moving forward. Um, I still say that there would be a question mark about. Um, the way he deployed Rooney, or indeed the way Rooney deployed himself, which I'm well, sure we'll, I'll do. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Rooney in a minute. Uh, Julian, did, 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 did you agree with that? Is, is that? Do you think that was the one notable difference? Um, 4-3-3 instead of 4-1-4-1? I, I didn't see much difference, I have to say. I thought it was boring. Even even the last 30 minutes, I was boring. disappointed. No, it is. It's, it's, it's not his job to how make it exciting. Dele, he's not, he's how not can Dele Ali... How can Deli Ali didn't start a game like this? Is beyond me. He I didn't don't start understand. for Spurs, right? In the, was it the last game or the one before? The, the one before. But it's, it's not because he didn't start for Spurs that he can't. He can't start for England against Slovakia away in a game where you know you need someone between the lines and you know because Sam said that you know he he, he clearly doesn't have any control on when Rooney that he knows when Rooney is not going to do that. So Henderson is not going to do okay. that. Dyer is not going to do that. And you've got two wingers and no one played between the lines in the first half. Hence the first shot on target after 64 minutes. How is that even possible? That there's no shot on target before the 64th minute. Well, they started very, very slowly. I, I mean, it's. Um, I, mean, I, I agree with Julian. The the, the, um, the midfield balance just didn't work at all for the first hour. I actually thought that the, the last half hour was really decent. I mean, it was. It was. It looked like it was going to end nil nil, and I, I tweeted at that point. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of criticism of of the performance. I think the last half hour has been has been good. I, I thought the goal when it came was deserved, and it actually reminded me quite a lot of Man United's game at Hull the previous week, where you know a common a common theme would be the uh, wailing about Rooney. But it was it was a, a performance that really improved, went from very slow and lethargic to a, a lot more dynamic, a lot more imaginative, a lot more purposeful as the game went on. I'm really not saying it was great. I'm not. But I, I do think they I do think they deserve to win that game 1-0. We have to talk about this and some people will be bored by it, but um, I, I'm wondering Wayne Rooney, he comes out before the game and he talks about retiring after um, after the World Cup in Russia and I was on a show with Paul Mariner, former England international, and he was appalled by that because, well, A, he doesn't like the idea of players retiring from international football. It's not your decision to make, but um, but it was more the idea that kind of in saying that, it's almost like you're putting pressure on, and maybe this isn't part of, maybe Rooney isn't quite that manipulative, but you're putting pressure on the England manager saying, all right, well, then you kind of got to pick him through 2018. Uh, did you see it that way, Julian? It, it looked to me all this week that it was Rooney's team. You know, the... Well, he's the captain. But this is not his team. Rooney can't do whatever he wants on the pitch. You know, who... When Rooney, he's 30 years old, he's clearly not in his best years. You know, there's clearly a, a problem with his positioning, both with club and country, like, like Oli wrote it this morning uh, very, very nicely. But he sounded like he was the boss, you know. And, and then Sam afterwards saying like yeah he can do whatever he wants it's just like it's I, I'm flabbergasted by the yeah, whole I, Rooney okay, okay so, then, so, sorry, so, so then let's just knock this on the head then we're saying that Sam Allardyce and Roy Hodgson both feel that if Wayne Rooney in the hole I guess because that's roughly where he plays for, 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 for Manchester United and you know slightly deeper with England today they both feel that the best the best thing to do is to have him on the pitch He's the England captain and give him this level of freedom and responsibility. This is a decision that Hodgson and Allardyce both reach the same conclusion independently. Well, is it not the same conclusion that um, David Moyes and Louis van Gaal and indeed Jose Mourinho have reached? I mean, it, well, you could say certainly this season that, that Manchester United have... have such options in attacking areas that that perhaps he's on borrowed time there, but it's not like um, I mean I, I think there's a strange thing with the Rooney debate where it's almost like people are absolutely you know people are desperate to make out he's a terrible player, and then and then there are people who are who not not many a declining number who, who suggest he's uh, who, who suggest he's still brilliant and he's clearly neither he, he, he's a once brilliant player whose very best years were quite a long time ago not. 
two years, three years, but probably seven or eight years, or even even longer. But he's still a, he's still a very good player for, for United England. It's not surprised to yeah. me that he's starting regularly for United England. I think over the next six to twelve months, or maybe eighteen months. Uh, uh, maximum probably he will probably be phased out of both of those teams and probably end up on the bench and you know a, a sort of non-playing captain I think but if that's the case if that's the case if you think he will be phased out mm-hmm. why give him so much responsibility now when you're actually trying to build a team and a unit um, when when you know that if you're going to phase him out why not give somebody else a shot and I'm talking about England I mean I think United is yeah, yeah. Uh, are a completely different is a completely different situation um, I, I, is that, that the I, argument that some people might make? Yes, it, it, it certainly is, and, and that is a reasonable point. But it's but if you if I mean Jose Mourinho seems to have looked at Rooney and thought, right? I need let, to, let's I, not bring I, Jose I to into this. Come no, because, no, 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 but it's the same. No, yeah, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same because Mkhitaryan uh, is new to the team, and well, so is Deli Ali. So is he's not Marcus Rashford and all these players that that people are suggesting should be in the team in the England team ahead of Rooney and it's very similar where the manager has made a sort of has made a pragmatic decision to to stick with Rooney not not alienate him not exile him not isolate him in, in the squad and put, I mean had Guardiola taken over at Man United or had, had a different manager taken over at England maybe maybe they would have um, maybe they would have made a different call on Rooney and they, they would have been free to do so without any commercial pressures or anything like that but, but these managers Allardyce Mourinho the same as Van Hal did, the same as Hodgson, have, have, have made the decision that he's a guy who they need in the team at the moment. If he's I, in the team, he, he's captain. And all I would really uh, quibble with over that is, you know, I, I don't think he should be some untouchable who plays where he wants. I, I think he should be a, a guy who is probably hanging on to his place in the team. And I, I think that is a more realistic appraisal of, of where Rooney's at. So, right, Julian, not a fan of... No, I love of, him. Of the, I'm no, just no, saying, I think of, there's a time to move you're, on. You're saying it's, not, it's a time to move on, yeah. and whereas Oli K would like to see Rooney as player-manager of the team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For 10 right. years. We're going to move on now, but we're going we're gonna to stay with Manchester United uh, because it's actually a, a, a bit of a treat. Oli... Wrote a wrote a book as you you may or may not know earlier this year about uh, a guy named Adrian Doherty, um, who was kind of like the other gigs. He's a, he was a contemporary of gigs. Legend has it, or not legend, but a lot of real live people say that uh, at United's academy at the time, which I believe was still the Cliff, right? Yep, yep. Um, he was a better prospect than Ryan Giggs. And you may be wondering why you've not heard about him. I think it's a fantastic story. I don't just have, we don't just have uh, Ollie on so to help him peddle his book. Um, <laughs> what happened next? Uh, so he's he's at that age. What, why, why did he not become Ryan Giggs or better than Ryan Giggs? Uh, well, the main reason is injury. He was, he was, he had already been, um, away with the first team a couple of times. Uh, he was six months older than Ryan Giggs, played on the opposite wing to him in, in the youth team. And everybody from Gary Neville to, well, basically everybody I spoke to, including Giggs himself, just said, look, you know, the, the two of them were, you know, um, you, you would mention them in the same breath. He would say, you know, are you going down to the cliff to watch Doherty and Giggs and the youth team, it, it, it would be those two, or Doherty and Wilson as it was at the time, and those two were just exceptional talents. Um, there was always a question mark with Doherty as, uh, about whether he was quite as uh, likely to make it long-term as Giggs was, just because he had this, he had a very different personality, he had very different interests, he, he didn't act like a footballer, he didn't dress like a footballer, he, he was, you know, always carrying a guitar around and well, wearing yeah, scruffy clothes. Actually, and, and I, that's something I want to I want to hit upon, Ollie, because you, you, you have this wonderful scene that uh, mm. th- th- that you tell about um, about this guy going with his guitar uh, and, and a hat and, 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 and busking on a street corner. I, I, think it was, I think it was actually near Old Trafford. Um... Mm. I, I cannot imagine a highly rated 16, 17 year old in an academy doing that, wanting to do that. It, it just seems that, that, that there's so much pressure for 
for, for people to, to, to conform, to, to be, you know, good citizens, good footballers. Um, where did this come from? Or was it his family? It come from a family of creatives? Was it? His dad was a, I mean, he's from Northern Ireland. His dad was a footballer of Derry City. And he was a big Bob Dylan fan. And Adrian got the same sort of Bob Dylan bug uh, from a young age and was just obsessed with Bob Dylan. People would sort of assume he wanted to be the next George Best, which a lot of people were trying to tell him he, he was on course to be. And he really wanted to be the next Bob Dylan. And, and he wrote songs and he wrote poetry and he played his songs and, he played, you know, read his poetry out at poetry nights. And that was the kind of guy he was, despite having this sort of gigs level talent in terms of pure ability as a footballer, pure talent. Um, he seemed to be at times indifferent to, to, to the idea of being a, a footballer. I think he found it very hard when he went over to Manchester. It wasn't quite what he'd always imagined um, uh, a sort of life as a young footballer, a young professional footballer to be. And uh, he, I think his sort of experience over those first that first year at Old Trafford, homesickness and one or two other things, really kind of slightly put him on off the football side, maybe made it him seem more more of as more as more of a job. But at the same time he was he was still going so, so well on the pitch that he was going away with the first team. He was going away with the first team ahead of gigs. And around the time that he got injured, which was the which was the big issue the big issue with it in February ninety one, he and um Giggs and Dan Ferguson had all been told that they were about to sort of be uh, integrated into the first team squad because it was an extreme injury crisis at the time. There was a huge fixture pileup with Littlewoods Cup and Cup Winners Cup, um, and he was going to he was going to be in the squad for the first team the following week. And yet he, he um, injured his knee playing in a, an 18 match against Carlisle United reserves, and basically he never recovered and Giggs was the one who made his debut the, the following week along with Dan Ferguson and um, you know, Giggs' life and career went in one direction and, and Doherty's career and, and life went in, in another direction it, it's remarkable the way it turned out really I think he's scary. You know, my my older son is seven and he loves his football. And and you know, and and you would you would fear what happens if he gets to that age, sixteen, seventeen. Not 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 just a big club at United. And, and sure, what such are you a afraid prospect. about that he might have interests outside football, like music? But no, no, no. It's not that. It's that you 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 also. It's one thing that you know people dream to be a football player and and young kids especially. But that they they need to have something else as well in case it doesn't work out. And so many kids, I think, get to sixteen, seventeen, get released, get injured. Uh, you know, get just not good enough for something and then have nothing left and what do you do next then? What do you do after that? And I think that's as much as you, you know, you want your kid to succeed and this and that, you... I don't think anyone is ready for what happened to Adrian, for example. And and I, I've got the book already. I haven't read it. It's, it's you know, I've, I've got a few that I need to read. But <laughs> what happened then then? What, was he depressed? Was it depression or was he actually relieved in a way because he clearly seemed that he wanted also to do something else and at least he had that but a lot of other kids don't have anything else but football and if they don't make it if they get that injury then it's you know the, the downfall is, is pretty big yeah it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a good question to ask and he, he basically I mean he, he remained a Manchester United player for another two years because he had a two year uh, two years left on his contract um, which initially was meant to be a five year contract and he, he turned down a five year contract because he said he wasn't sure he wanted to be a, um, a footballer for, for, for the next five years <laughs> he, he thought he thought hang on you know maybe sign three years and, and then we'll see how it goes today right mm -hmm. he would be like Dominic Solanke or something and yeah, sign yeah, a yeah. five year contract for two million pounds a year yeah right? absolutely absolutely okay. I mean, this, the, the, the contract he was offered was the biggest that United had ever offered somebody who was just finishing an apprenticeship. Right. And it was by like £300 a week. Yeah, It was, was £200 a week plus <laughs> bonuses when, when he played for United's first team, when he played for Northern Ireland and when he, you know, the, the, it was going to be, it was going to improve as, as he, as he, Went up the ladder, and you know, no doubt, had he made his first team baby, he, he would have, um, he, he would have begun to earn quite, quite well. And, and the, the, the contract he'd been on before was twenty nine pound fifty a week with his apprenticeship. So, you know, to, to go from that to two hundred pound a week plus bonuses was going to be a big deal. And 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 um, that's a, a sign of how they rated him. And that's that's the the contract that that they ended up offering gigs and and um, 
six months later when he turned 17, obviously gig signed for the, 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 um, the whole five years. But, but to get back to the question, having um, got injured, he basically spent the next two years trying to get fit. But as he suffered one uh, sort of setback after another, I mean, he's, he's, he, he sort of, well, he, his heart went from, the, you know, he, he sort of get, ended up almost giving up on, and trying to get fit and get, gave up on the dream because he could see that these younger guys like Beckham and Keith Gillespie and Nicky Burton, Paul Scholes, people like that were were coming in behind him and 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 overtaking him really and and um, and so he, his his contract drifted towards a, the end and it was probably a release a relief really when he when he when he left at the end of that contract he he ended up playing um, in, back in Ireland for Derry City for for a month or so but it was. Um, Basically, he just completely uh, turned his back on football and was happiest that way. He didn't want he didn't want to play football. He didn't want to kind of go down the divisions and, and find a level he, where he could play competently. He, he just thought, well, I haven't made it at Manchester United because of the injury. That ha- you know that that's happened. I move on. I, I'll, I'll do something else. And what he wanted to do was his, his music and his poetry. And it's 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 certainly a, a remarkable story, and I think um, one that should probably give us all cause to uh, uh, to reflect and, and maybe football too about maybe the way it can cater to people who, who fall away and also people who don't quite fit the mold. The book is Forever Young and uh, it's a story of Adrian Darty. Um, one issue this week, uh, a tweet. This is funny because we all know about the, the Sergio Aguero um, elbow, not elbow, wrist, whatever it was on... Um, on Winston Reed, um, Mark Halsey, former referee, you, you, you may know him, um, cancer survivor uh, as well. Uh, he says a tweet, but it was actually, from what I could tell, I mean, and Julian, you might, and all of you guys might know more about this, it was actually a response to mm. somebody, which means that some schlub somewhere went through the trouble of going through Mark Halsey's timeline, um, unless he was tweeting with somebody at whatever paper published it. But anyway, it turned into a story, and Halsey said that the PGMOL, which is the body that um, runs the referees, oversees the, the, the referees um, association, um, had told them sometimes to say that he had not seen an, interest, an, an incident when, in fact, he had. Uh, bear in mind, too, that Mark Halsey and the PGMOL did not leave each other on, on good terms. And, and Howard Webb, of course, he um, very famous uh, uh, referee as well from, from 2010 who, who, um, who writes, a, writes a column for us in, in the game. And, and he says that he was never actually told, you know, to say that he had not seen an incident, which he had seen. Um, but then he cites the, the Balotelli stamp on, on Scott Parker, which I personally didn't have a problem with. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, but I suppose, strictly speaking, did warrant a suspension. I think he called the foul, but then he didn't send him off, and then he was asked about it, and he genuinely hadn't seen the stamp. Uh, I suppose it was the angle or whatever. But I think this is an interesting story because there's a, there's a concept within FIFA which says we cannot allow re-refereeing of matches. So this is why it exists. This is why if a referee has not seen, or if a referee says he has seen the incident, then unless he has made a technical mistake in other words if he's seen the incident oh look i you know i saw the incident clearly he clearly fisted the ball into the net but i chose to let the goal stand in which case he hasn't applied the rules correctly but if he has seen the incident even if tv pictures suggest otherwise um there can be no further action take i think halsey's implication is that PGMOL told referees, okay, write in your report that, or when we come back to you, that you did not see the incident so that we can go and punish people and apply video evidence. Um, this is a really tricky one, I, I find, Ollie, as, 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 as Howard writes um, as well. Um, I know why FIFA do not allow referees to, to re-referee, but should they maybe soften their stance a little in, in light of situations like this? Yeah, they should, and and if and if they, uh, and if the FA or the, the the Premier League or the Football League or English football as a whole feels that that they are a little too constrained, they've got the option uh, within reason to to set their own rules, and this is something they they've, they've hidden behind, I think, for, for 
for far too long, and they have moderated the, the rules slightly. That there is now a little bit more scope for 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 um, people to quote re-refereeing, but but you know, retrospective action, uh, retrospective punishments when incidents like this aren't punished at the time. And, but I I just think that I just think it seems like there's almost any excuse not to take action at times, and it means that when um, when there's an incident like this one, which um, which was a high-profile one, not because it's Manchester City, as, as Manchester City fans seem convinced, it, you know, it, it is that there's some kind of pre-Derby match conspiracy. But it's a high-profile incident because it's a high-profile club and a high-profile player doing something which, you know, was was bound to get um, was bound to get a punishment if seen, and and it's been. I mean, there is this question of whether Andrew Mariner, the referee, saw it at the time. There's a suggestion that, well, there's a, there's a belief that he probably did see it and just underestimated what had happened. And I think that um, for him to for him to have sort of admitted not having seen it. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So that the FA could, um, could take the action under their sort of strange rules and strange disciplinary process is really strange. I've got no problem at all with the uh, with, with the end result which is a which is a, a charge and a ban but the the process just always seems to be totally flawed and totally unsatisfactory well it's interesting uh julian because um ollie as we heard there has one view howard webb has an entirely different view um you know writing again in, in our paper today next to an excellent spread about the uh pet marina rivalry <laughs> i might add um you know he makes the point that this is intended for retrospective action is intended for incidents that have not been seen. But if you ask a referee, did you see it? You're kind of implying like, oh, look, you were wrong in your judgment. So obviously Howard doesn't like it. Um, and he makes a point. He doesn't want referees to become just remote controlled referees, maybe with video evidence reviewing uh, their work. Um, now, bearing in mind that Howard Webb uh, is a former law enforcement officer, yep. and after Brexit, your position is in yep. peril here. Um, who do you side with, no, Ollie just, or Howard? Uh, it's th- th- my issue is I think this is stupid rule of like has has the referee seen it or not? Because if if he missed the penalty because he hasn't seen it, uh, we don't you know they, they don't take the penalty again. Uh, you know we we don't have we don't have. But an we extra do it for violent. But you do it for violent yeah, conduct. Yeah, vi- which is what we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. But you know whether you think the the incident, whether the referee has seen it or not, and if if like like Oli was saying, he might not have realized on that split second that you know he might have thought that Aguero did. So you're in favor of re-refereeing, basically. But, but yeah, but because how many times it's not really re-refereeing. Why? How many, how many times saying, has it happened? If, if Andre Mariner says I have seen this, and in my judgment, I'm the referee. The rules say I get to decide. I've seen the incident. And it's not a red card. Yeah. Case closed. Yeah. You can have all your video evidence. Once I tell you I've seen it, you can put your video evidence. But then why don't they meet up and they said, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to show you the video because maybe you didn't realize that 
you know, it, it really made it. contact and something. Yeah, I saw it, but I saw it live, and I also had something in the the corner of my eyes and something. I also had to follow the ball, and I had to follow this, and right. I had to follow that. But, but so, so basically, you, you are worked. advocating re-refereeing and video technology, and I you guys are both indeed. disagreeing with Howard but Webb. Also you do finish, so at your peril. <laughs> that thing about referees: why are they not allowed to talk after games? Why can't they come out and do an interview? And say, listen, I th- you know, I've seen that again. I got that one wrong, or there was a penalty there. Why is that the whole omerta around, you know, referees, and and treat them the way they are treated? On Who- that point, I actually, I actually kind of, uh, I kind of agree. I, I think it's oh, people. Oh, I disagree. Oh, interesting. I, 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 I'll tell you why I agree with with Julian, and then you can tell me why you disagree. But I think if if people explained what they saw in that moment, I exactly. think they would become they would become more human and we would get more more educated. I think we'd also lose this total false pretense that all referees are creative are created equal and they're all equally competent. Mm. Because they're not. Some referees are better, some have a better personality, they're better at man management. They simply see things better and make more correct de- de- yeah. decisions. Um, but Ollie, you get the final word. <laughs> I disagree with it because it's all it's gonna be is, is then explaining why they've made mistakes and it's obvious why they've made mistakes it's obvious why Andrew Mariner didn't give a red card it's because as Julian said he didn't see it properly it was was right within his line of vision but he he clearly wasn't totally convinced that it was it was was that kind of offence and and, and so it's it's always really obvious what what the decision made even those those penalties at Stoke the other week where everyone was saying oh what's he seen there it's obvious what he's seen or thought he's seen and it's and to me, it's just sort of undermining the the credibility of referees more rather than strengthening it. And I think referee it wouldn't do referees a favour. It might it might you know it might sort of add to the sort of pantomime villain aspect. It might play into the hands of the media to to uh, you know have these people dragged out in front of the, the cameras to to explain things. But it's always obvious why people make decisions, or almost always. In our debate this week, well, we were supposed to talk about something else, but. Um for legal reasons, we won't be doing that. Uh, we'll be talking Manchester Derby uh, and the, the specifically Pep and Mourinho. It, it's one vantage point on this. This is a story that's going to, I think, is going to dominate. Um, there is a narrative whereby, because they were together at Barcelona, in fact, we run a, a wonderful photograph of the two of them um, at Barcelona. And the reason I love this photograph, and I appreciate this podcast, you can't see the photograph, but you know what? If you Google it, it'll probably be the first thing that comes up because it's a very famous, famous photograph. And you're tempted to look at this and see, oh, look, they're, 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 they're sitting down on the training pitch. Um, look, they're friends. And then somehow, you know, it's Cain and Abel. They grow apart. Um, neither one has murdered the other yet, but there's still time for that. But if you look at the picture carefully, it, it's almost, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a snapshot. But there is such a contrast. Um, you know, Pep is, is wearing a dark top, Mourinho, uh, a light top. Pep is, Pep's got his, his, he's sitting with it with his arms against his knees. It's almost like he's, he, he's guarded. He's, Mourinho is sitting all the way back with his legs wide open. I mean, he looks like a, uh, he looks like, well, uh, <laughs> You know, he is totally, totally relaxed. Um, they're looking in different directions. They almost kind of look like when you have a, a conversation at a party. Uh, you know, somebody kind of looks past to see if somebody more interesting is, uh, is 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 coming is coming to talk to. Not that that's ever happened to me. Um, I don't know that they, were, that they were ever quite on the wavelength. Certainly, that's the impression I was given when when I when I reported the story. Um, Ollie, we're incessantly fascinated by this simply because they are I mean this is almost biblical right the the, the contrast between these two uh, yet they've only been in the same league once uh, for and, and that years, was for, yeah. for, for two years uh, do we need this added layer I mean is it something that you look at and you say this is a great lens through which to watch the Manchester Derby next week uh, what's your take um, I imagine we'll get Sick of it in some ways, um, if, and I, I imagine it could get nasty. How can you get it, sick uh, of it, it though? How could I mean? Well, it, it's just like saying like not, I get sick of the, not, of the Bible. I don't want to no, hear no, about no, the no, Good no. Samaritan one more time, right? No, no, no. But it, not, not, not. I mean, I, I think it is fascinating, I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm really looking forward to this, um, this game. I said I'm, I'm looking forward to the theatre surrounding it, even though I was poo-pooing the 
entertainment industry aspects earlier, but it's, it's. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, look, we we as a media in, in this country are always obsessed with the personalities of the managers, and and often more so about more so the personalities and and the caricatures than than what the managers actually do, how they how they operate. And um, I think you know we've got two managers who are totally different styles, never mind totally different personalities. I think that is going to be really interesting how that plays out over the next um, three years. But I I can see because of the way maybe one of them is more than the other, it it will just get a bit cartoon-like and a bit Punch and Judy if, if, um, uh, you know, over the course of time. I'm really looking forward to this first one, but... uh, And and generally, you know, the City United rivalry um, being you know revived and reinvigorated by by these two, but I imagine it could get very wearisome if if um, as, as it seems to do uh, towards the the, um, the well the second season that they were both in Spain, it seemed like it just sort of exhausted Guardiola and was probably a big factor in in um, you know in, in sort of making him uh, move away from it, Barcelona. Is, I, is I, there I maybe though a slightly? A slightly fundamental difference, and I know the the Premier League people won't like this when I say this, but there was a much bigger connection, I think, certainly for Guardiola and Barca, um, but I think also for Mourinho at Real Madrid, you know, having got to the pinnacle of club football. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, you can say United are just as big as Real Madrid, but the point is Real Madrid was Mourinho's first job at the very pinnacle of club football. Uh, they were younger, maybe they were less mature. mature. You had the whole background, the whole Catalan, uh, Castilian uh, thing going on. Um, were these all these other layers, a, a much more rabid press, two different parts of the country? You know, Manchester is pretty small. I mean, I mean you know, it's 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 a I know, it's a city, of course, but you know, it's not. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about something that divides a nation. Right, we're talking about two big successful clubs, I, and I kind of feel that in England there's not more maturity about it, but you don't have all these layers that you necessarily had back then. But then again, I live inside the M25, and you don't, Ollie. So, <laughs> am I wrong on this? Um, no, I, th- I think that's I think that's pretty much right. What, what, what you say in, in, in the, you know the, there was that sort of political uh, aspect. There's the you know the the media is very much. Polarized in 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 Spain between pro pro Madrid and, and pro Barcelona and, and you know, it, it's not like that over here. It, it's you know it's it's probably a case of um, you know who, who can get bragging rights each, you know, each time and who's who's top of the table. But it, it's it's um, it is you know it is going to be a huge thing as to which not only who wins on Sunday or Saturday but or who wins the title but who gets the upper hand over this. Um, over these next three years, if we were to assume that um, the two of them um, both are here for, for, for three years, which is probably um, the maximum either would would do, who who is going to sort of win the war, as it were? Who, who you know the second the second war between them? Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing myself now, and I'm talking about it, about it as a war. But it, it is it is. Two clubs. I don't. I don't want it always to be portrayed as as Guardiola versus is Mourinho, Pep versus Jose. You know, there, there are teams, there are clubs, and I'm 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 well up for the um, you know the kind of punch and Judy narrative of it um, this week. And but I, I, in the long term, I hope the City United rivalry can be more than that, more than a massive personality clash between two guys who. Are great managers. Never mind, you know, great names. They're, they're great managers, great coaches, very Ju- different personalities. Julian, so. if if the managers overshadowed Barcelona and Real Madrid, when Barcelona had Messi and Cristiano was at Real Madrid, mm. you look at United. Mourinho always overshadows anything, everything, and maybe Pogba one day will reach that level. If you look at the other end. There's phenomenal players, but there aren't outsize, in-your-face personalities on the city end. In fact, maybe between the two clubs, it's really only Pogba and Ibrahimovic, yeah. and they both just got here, and Ibrahimovic presumably won't be around that long. So 
is it kind of inevitable that our narrative I think so. for a while will be actually about the two managers? Yeah, and I just I just that's why I slightly disagree with Oli. I want I want more of it. I want them to play in the League Cup, I want them to play in the FA Cup, sure. I want replays, I want them to play in Europe. Uh, hang on. Oh yeah, no, not in Europe, but next season in Europe. I want them all the time. I want to see what they're gonna do tactically on Saturday. I want to see how what, what Jose comes up with against Pep because I don't think Pep would, is going to change much they could yet face uh, each other in, in, in Europe by yeah the they could still yeah true right how about some quick hits there's only going to be four this week because there's only two of you and because as exciting as the week of football is <laughs> um, we had all those freaking friendlies first we only had one day ah I don't want to think about what happened please league football come back I, I really love international football I want to give it a shot but they make it hard this week Chelsea make the biggest splash on transfer deadline day, picking up David Luiz. Uh, Julian, is this a clever, calculated risk? You've said enough. It's a risk. And why would you take that risk? I don't understand. It was a big surprise. Uh, it came to a big surprise to me. It came to a big surprise at PSG that Chelsea were ready to spend so much money on David Luiz two years after letting him go. I don't think he's as good as he was when he left. I think he's the worst player. I'm sorry. I know you, you disagree, Gab. But I'm just so shocked and surprised to see Chelsea doing that deal. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that all their other targets seemed to yes. seem to disappear. <laughs> and, it was um, the seventh or eighth choice, yeah. And eventually... It, it, entirely because people say, ah, oh, well, the, the asking rate is 60 million because you got 50 million pounds for David Luiz. Um, Matthew Syed's column today uh, mm. talks about Manchester City and how the Abu Dhabi investment is uh, sort of a hedge by the royal family of the Emirate, um, a protection, if you will, against getting overthrown perhaps by, by their own people or maybe taken over by some of the bigger, more powerful countries nearby, like Saudi Arabia and Iran. You're a pretty serious guy, so <laughs> you get to deal with this one, Ollie. Is this something City fans should be thinking about? Oh, look, the absolute monarch of a country with a so-so human rights record, has bought us because he thinks that will save him from being overthrown by democracy-loving people or maybe invaded by Iran or Saudi or whatever. Or, or, that, the, or that the money runs out once the, once the, the fuel runs out. It's about preserving um, Abu Dhabi's place in the world. I, I've, I've written about that previously myself as well. It's, it's, it's true that that, that that is the strategic reason, the geopolitical reason why... Abu Dhabi bought Manchester City, or what Sheikh Mansour bought Manchester City. That that is why, and 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 in that sense, yes, they they Wait, are. It's not because uh, Sheikh are, Mansour grew up with a poster of Mike Summerby on his wall. <laughs> no, no, not even Lee Bradbury or anybody like that. But it's but it's um it's you know from um from Abu Dhabi's view. That is what Manchester City are. They are a pawn in a bit in a bigger game. Obviously, to Manchester City's point of view, Manchester City's fans' point of view, it's all about Man City, and and, and rightly so. But it's but they they should be aware of that dimension. And, and if they're not, I, I, I don't suppose it does any harm um, to to read that unless they just end up convinced that the media is against them. Okay, so at one point on transfer deadline day, uh, we think Musa Sissoko is. He's definitely going to Everton. And then he ends up at Spurs. Uh, Juliet, there's two questions. One is, what happened? We know you've got the inside track on this because you tweeted a selfie of of yourself and and Musa um, celebrating uh, outside White Hart Lane. But also, it's a lot of money to spend for a guy who really was... Pretty bad last year, wasn't he? I mean, we're inconsistent. I mean, yeah. gifted player, and and also is he a natural fit too? Yeah, let me tell you about the story of Little Musa. Little Musa was not happy anymore in Newcastle. Things didn't really work he's not out that for little, him. Is he? He's bigger he's than just, you. He's Little Musa. Little Musa was not happy. He wanted to leave. Didn't want to play in the Championship. Almost ready to go anywhere really in the Premier League or, or in Europe. Uh, few clubs were interested. Everton were actually. Actually, met with the first club to meet to meet. Sorry, the valuation made by Newcastle of thirty million pounds. They were happy to take, you know, five payments of six million. Everybody was happy. Little Musa was okay about Everton. He wanted to play Champions League football. Everton didn't offer that, but he thought, okay, it's still good. So he was on his way from London, um, where he. He was based to uh, Liverpool and Everton. Why does he live in London? No, he was with France. He was with France in Paris. But instead of going to Italy with the rest of the national team, he went to London to sort out his transfer, basically, because it was deadline day. Because there's no Paris to it, well, John Lennon I guess airport. it's quicker if you're in 
in London already okay, to yeah, go to fine. Liverpool to yeah. sign for Everton. So here he is yeah. on the M1, and then I guess the you know someone Why one of the, the trains. Oh, because well, he, he didn't want to. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do a Jeremy Corbyn. But that's a good detail because on the train he would have he wouldn't have been able to to do a U-turn. But he was in mm. the car. And then the phone rang and it was Spurs and Spurs actually said, okay, okay, we're going to meet the 30 million pound valuation. So if you want, you can come to us and we've got Champions League to offer. So Little Musa was really happy again. And he thought, yes, that's what I want. So they did a U-turn on the motorway, went back down to London. He signed for Spurs. It's a lot of money, but if you get the Sissoko from the Euros, then it's maybe not so, so much. If you get the Sissoko from Newcastle, then it's pretty a lot of money. If, Doesn't if the Sissoko from the Euros play in Dele Alli's position? He more so than the the, the Dembele Wanyama Dyer position. Uh, he he played in the Lamela position. He played in on the right hand side of that four four two with Grace well, whatever you want to call it, a, yeah. an attacking midfield position. But but really on the right hand side, and I don't see. Well, I guess he can play there for Spurs, but that's for me that's his best position. On the right-hand side. But surely, 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 given that Eric Lamella is the greatest, most Ever. talented player in the Premier League. Um, is £30 million to see on the bench then? And it, well, unless this Christian Eriksen situation, which I can, obviously none of us for legal reasons can go into more issues, is a lot more serious than we thought. Maybe. But it brings them something, you know, I think a bit different and, and something else if, if, if right. Mauricio wants to, to, you know, to, to tweak things. Okay, so we went way over in, in our normal Sorry. time limit on this Musa Sissoko thing. Musa, but it's okay. It's Musa, Musa, Musa. And besides, we only have six quick kids. <laughs> we only have four quick kids. Okay. Six. Um, we're going to end with with Captain Jack. Um, Mr. Wilshire I, decides on deadline day, or, or Arsenal decide for him, that, hey, look, you're free to go on loan somewhere else because you know, you'll just get injured again and never play. So it doesn't <laughs> really matter. No, just kidding. Uh, because, you know, you need playing time and whatever. Um, now... I'm going to ask you, Ollie. First of all, is the story that he, he turned down Crystal Palace to go to Bournemouth. Is that true? And if it is true, doesn't it prove that he's actually not a little weak guy who, who just wants to stay in his comfort zone because he's moving all the way from, from London to, to the wild south coast? Well, it's, you know, once you're, once you're in Croydon at Crystal Palace, you're halfway there anyway. But it's... it's from what I was told, it had more to do with 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 style and with with management. And that's not a massive. Oh, you're having a go on, apart, on, yes, I love it. Yes, it's I love that, Ollie. It's, 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 if you were Jack Wilshire, you could you could see that. Well, look, if, if you're dropping down from Arsenal to to Palace, why would you not drop down from Arsenal to Bournemouth if you felt that that was that style was was more. Suited to your own, I, I, I can totally understand why. Yeah, why I, you, I, I actually, yeah, I think chose we, I, this is a setup question because I wanted to set you up. I'm going to send you an alley oop <laughs> so like to go and 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 have a go at parts. But in reality, if I'm not mistaken, there's already a player named Johan Kabai who plays for Crystal Palace who does a lot of the things that in Roy Hodgson's fantasies Jack Wilshire is supposed to be doing on a regular basis when he's mm -hmm. not injured, right? Um. Yeah. So given that they only generally play with one ball, uh, the wilshire Kabai coexistence, not so obvious. At Bournemouth, it's a slightly different situation. I mean, you're saying that's the basis of this decision, right? Well, that, that's the basis for, for, for choosing Bournemouth over Palace, yeah. I mean, you, you could look at Kabai's experience at Palace and you say, does that team particularly suit Kabai? I, I don't think it particularly does. I and mean, I'm not, not picking Crystal Palace or Pardew. What they do works well for them, but it, but it's it. I don't think it, it particularly gets the best out of Cabanas. I don't think it would have got the best out of Wilshire. And, and you know, I, I would say he, they would have been one of the Premier League clubs that would have suited him least. And whereas Bournemouth, I mean, obviously a much much smaller club than than Arsenal, probably a smaller club than Palace. But the style, the role, uh, you know, the the type of coach Eddie Howe is will probably suit more. And I, I remember, I, I think I did the. I think was the first newspaper interview with um, Wilshire when he when he was on loan at Bolton um, back in 2010, I think. And he said, then, I mean, he was, he was only 18, and he, he, he 
he didn't say very much in the interview. He was very shy at, at that point. He actually said, you know, one of the reasons I chose Bolton was because I like the way they, they, they're playing you know, under Owen Call. They, they pass it. They, they, they do this. They play through midfield. And he had chosen Bolton over over other Premier League clubs because he felt that they they would suit his style. And I think it's a similar um, a similar decision here. And it's you know, I think the, the big decision was the decision to to go on loan from Arsenal. I think the the um, sort of destination was 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 probably um, a less difficult decision. Thank you, Roy Hodgson. Um, <laughs> Gab, one for you. The transfer window this summer in England reached a record £1.2 billion. Pounds. Um, are you surprised? What, what? Well, first of all, Julian, that, that number, as you know, is kind of stupid and meaningless because um, that, num- that is the amount of money Premier League clubs spent, but a lot of that was done trading with each other, so it's actually money recirculating. Yeah. Um, What's really relevant, I think, is the £700 million, which has left the Premier League, not all of it going abroad, some of it going to the lower divisions, the bulk of it going abroad. And we have a situation where it's it's basically sort of cross-subsidizing, bankrolling um, other European leagues. Um, You could say that in this post-Brexit or post-potential or post-Brexit vote era, um, it is an example of what trade... Uh, can do and and trickle down effects and specialization. Some people going so much as saying that what we're going to see now is other European leagues specializing in in creating players and then selling them to to the Premier League, where I suppose they make them the next step and 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 whatever else. I I don't know if we're going to quite go that far. It's not like footballers are raw materials, but if you go back to economics 101, right? Some countries go and like they'll they'll mine iron and then they'll send it somewhere else and then they'll turn the iron into some kind of finished product into steel and then they could go somewhere else and then the steel becomes whatever girders or whatever they <laughs> kind of steel but you know you, you get the point yeah. right? it's um it, it, it is an interesting it is an interesting situation um uh that that has emerged and i think it's one that we don't quite fully understand yet and that no doubt we'll be talking about further Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests, Julian Lawrence and Ollie Kay. Uh, It was just the two of them, and it was so much better because they are two of the very best guests, as voted by you, the audience of The Game Podcast. Now, remember... You can sign up for The Times online. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. You get all the benefits and goodies that come along with that. Um, And look, you can subscribe to us as in our podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcasts, we're going to be back in seven. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rustoleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. oleum days time. Uh, Till next time, ta-ta. <laughs>